We live in an incredibly divided world. Uh, politically, you know, I mean, people are just at each other. And I've been thinking about the fact that we, we need to learn how to follow Jesus in an age of outrage. And uh, whether it's social media or whatever it is, it, 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 it triggers us to just like go after each other. And that, that divisiveness can't leak inside the church, but so often it does. Imagine, those of you that are parents, you got multiple kids, imagine if you chose one of them as your favorite. You had a favorite child. And imagine if you told that child that you were their favorite. Well, what kind of jealousy and rivalry would creep into your family at that point in time? And when you were a little kid, you, you knew which parent to go to for which request, right? You want to stay out late? You, you know, go to your dad. <laughs> Lenient, you know? You need help with your homework. Uh, you know, you look at them and you look at their GPA. Okay, I'll go with mom on this one. Right? You get into trouble, you know which parent to go to, and then those parents discover you're playing them. And now they're at each other, you know, just yelling at each other, and the family is ripped apart. I mean, that's what happens. If you're following along in the outline, painful family squabbles rip us apart, and that's what the Apostle Paul is going to talk about. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we're in verse 10. And he's concerned about the family squabbles and what it can do to the church. Todd gave us the intro last week, and now we move right into the body, right into the body of the letter. And, and the Apostle Paul is going to go fast and heavy. He's their pastor, and he's concerned about divisions in the church. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters, Kathleen reminded us, we're a family. And in this letter, this is the place where Paul talks about family over and over. And he calls us brothers and sisters. And Paul himself says, I'm your brother. I'm one of you. And I appeal to you, family, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Paul's appealing to family unity. He's the apostle, Paul the apostle, the founder of this church in Corinth, but he's a brother, he's one of them. And he has authority, he says, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm making my appeal to you family. What he's doing from verse 1 on, and Todd set it up last week, he's framing our identity. Our identity is Jesus and grace, Jesus and grace. Our identity is in Jesus. And his appeal is with that identity as the foundation. He doesn't want it to be torn apart. What is Paul's appeal? That all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. I want to suggest this is the thesis of the whole letter. From introduction now, everything that comes after this is a working out 
of dealing with the reality that there's always the potential for divisiveness and division within the family of God. And Todd told us last week, you know, one of the things you're going to see cropping up in this letter are divisions over status, the rich and the poor. There was just a few rich people in the congregation. There was a lot of poor people, and yet there were some divisions between them, and there were power issues. People's opinions about how to solve problems were tearing them apart. Issues of morality and disagreements with people. Sounds a little bit like Twitter today. That place where you can go zero to 100 right away, and then all of a sudden there's this, this internet storm that attacks people and ideas and problems. Paul says, I don't want there to be any divisions. He uses the word schism. It's dissension. Dissension in the family. And dissension can lead to church splits. They're not there yet, but they're on the way. This idea, schism, it's, it's the idea of torn fabric. You know, like, like you have a nice, like a nice jacket or a nice pair of jeans and, and uh, you're walking along and you tear it on a, on a nail or something. Ah, oh, man, I love, I love these jeans. Now, I'm no fashionista. Um, but, you know, he's talking about tears in your fabric. And now, women can buy jeans with tears in the fabric designed and implemented by the people that make the jeans. I don't, I'm not sure I really understand that. And it costs more if you have more tears. Now, that's not what Paul's talking about. He doesn't place a priority on those tears. What he's talking about is this divisiveness, this brokenness, the, 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 the broken relationships within the family. We're all broken, really aren't we? And, and what Paul wants us to do is own that brokenness, and his vision is for us to have a beautiful kind of broken, right? He can take the tears and, 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 and the, the, the torn places in our lives and our relationships, and he can, he can make them into something beautiful. Paul says, instead, be perfectly united in mind and thought. It's this word united means to restore that which has been broken. To restore a relationship that's been broken. To, store, to restore the fabric. You know, knit it together in love, Paul would say. It's used in the Gospels about mending holes in a net. You know, coming and saying, hey, you know, we got holes in our net. Let's, let's work together to restore those. And here's an interesting picture for me. It's the idea of mending a broken bone. And uh, when I fell off a cliff in a mountaineering accident when I was in my 20s, I had a compound fracture in my right femur. And I mean, it's several compound fractures. The bone was a mess. In fact, they even contemplated maybe we just take the leg off. And what they did is they put me in the hospital and they uh, drilled a hole in my shin, put a pin through it, and then tied a rope to it and put a weight on the end of that rope through the, the, the rope and the weight over a pulley and there I laid in the hospital bed for two and a half months with the weight pulling my leg straight. And I watched it. And over the days and over the weeks, I watched my, my bone knit together again. And now I would suggest my right femur is stronger than my left femur. It's ugly, but it works really good. That's the picture that Paul's talking about here in family schism, family dissension, family arguments, is that we have a beautiful kind of broken. Now, 
mind you, as you read that, when he says, you know, perfectly united in mind and thought, he's not talking about uniformity. He's not talking about conformity. He's not talking about us all being in lockstep with, with you know, just like this robotic, cult-like mind where we all just repeat the same thing. No, no, no. I mean, in fact, in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul's going to talk about the beautiful diversity of the body. And some are hands and some are feet. Some are elbows, you know, and, 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 and God uses those to bring them all together. No, what he's talking about here is unity in the midst of our diversity. That, that, that we would be in, in, of one mind in our purpose and our mission. That we would understand what are our essentials. What's really important here? And what's on the periphery? That we shouldn't get all hot and bothered about what is the center of the family Paul wants us to think about. The problem is, is that celebrity pastor infatuation can divide us. Paul goes on to say this in verse 11, my brothers and sisters again, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. In chapter 3, verse 3, he calls it jealousy and quarrels. And Chloe was probably a businesswoman, let's say from Ephesus, across the channel in Ephesus, and she had some workers, and they did business for her. They probably went from Ephesus to Corinth. They were doing some business. They, they had come to Christ at some point in their life, and here they are in Corinth, and they decide, hey, let's, let's um, enjoy worship and fellowship with the family of God in Corinth, and they go, whoa, th those people are at each other. There, there's some serious division within that. And they go back to Chloe and say, wow, what, what's the deal? And, 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 and they, they talk to Paul. And they say, you may not realize what's happening in that family over there in Corinth. Verse 12. This is what I mean, Paul says. This is what I mean. Uh, one of you says, I follow Paul. And another says, I follow Apollos. And another, I follow Cephas. And then even a fourth says, I, I follow Christ. You know, there there's these, these little groupings that are beginning to develop with some favoritism within the congregation. Paul, the founding pastor, I mean, you know, why wouldn't you want to be loyal to Paul and say, hey, you know, he's my man, I'm for Paul. And then you've got Apollos, and you can read a bit about his story in Acts 18, he's from Alexandria, Egypt, an intellectual center, you know, and, and, uh, and Apollos, a smart guy. And it says there in Acts 18, he was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scripture. And then it says, and he spoke with great fervor. Apollos comes onto the scene, and people are like, wow, that... That guy, man, can he preach and teach it? Man, he really knows the Bible. And uh, he's so gifted, he's so eloquent. And then there is uh, the Cephas crowd. You know, Cephas is Aramaic for Peter. Now, Peter, 
Peter was Jesus' right-hand guy. He was with Jesus for those three years. He was part of the original 12 disciples, and maybe some people who had been won to Christ through Peter, they intermingled with the Corinthians, and some people had come to Christ through Peter's influence, and they're like, Paul, you know, late to the game. Apollo's kind of heady and intellectual, but Peter, man, we go back to the source there. I'm of Peter. And then I think this fourth group, I don't really know what's going on there, but I don't know, maybe you've seen it before. It, it's sort of like, uh, you know, Paul and Apollos and, and Peter, they're, they're just humans. We're of Christ. And I think it's sort of a super spiritual kind of secret elitism, you know, like, like you guys all got it wrong, and, and, and we, really, we really got it because we're straight, straight to Christ. But Paul's going to challenge that view. I think he's talking about preferences. We all have preferences, right? I mean, that's why we have so many different kind of churches and worship styles and preachers and teachers and the, and the ethos of a church. And, and, and you found a home here at the river. But Paul's interested in whether our preferences divide us. I think it it's true today where it kind of is this, uh, this, this particular brand of Christianity that, that, that we've adopted, that we've said, yeah, th- this is the right one. The rest are the wrong ones. And yes, I know, we, we have favorites, right? We, we, we love it when someone is teaching. We, we, we love, you know, a particular kind of worship. And when a, a worship leader comes up, and, and we have all sorts of opinions. And believe me, those opinions divide and split churches. And Paul is concerned about that. Not that we don't have preferences and we resonate with different people. But notice, I think Paul's issue in verse 12 is the word I. I follow Paul. I follow Apollo. I follow Cephas. Oh, no, I. It's I. It's I. We live in a world where we can easily begin to make this about us and our preference. And, of course, talking about status and the rich and the poor. And in this context, the rich could use their money to sort of, like, own a particular leader. I'm of Apollos, and I'll use my clout to make sure that he kind of keeps going that way. There's division. It's Catholic, Protestant, huge divide. There's Calvin. There's Arminius. There's high church, low church. we, We are definitely low church. The river... We want to keep it that way. Hey, there's charismatic, and then there's the reforms, man. They just, they, they can't really even talk to one another. There's conservative, there's liberal. Oh, there's the progressives. And out of that, we've identified our celebrity pastors, you know? And with the glut of information, you know, podcasts, the availability, being able to access the, the most talented, gifted, compelling communicators in the world, on our phones, it's like we got our favorites. And I love that. I just eat it up. 
But I don't think those people make themselves celebrity pastors. We do. And when we make someone a celebrity pastor, we run the risk of great division. See, the problem that Paul is identifying is that this favoritism was pulling people apart. It was pulling people apart. I'm not like them. So we focus on the distance between us and those other people. Us and that other brand of Christianity. Us and that other church. Us and that other leader. And when that begins to creep inside a church, it pulls us apart and it doesn't pull us together. And I think the real problem that Paul is identifying here is that it is very easy to take one more step and allow a person, a personality, a leader, a pastor, a communicator, a human being to take the place of Jesus, to get between us and Jesus. And we begin to see who Jesus is through that particular slice that is our preference. And Paul says it's a danger. So finally, he moves into this idea of keeping Christ and his cross central. There's three rhetorical questions that he asks, and I think Paul now is kind of putting it right in their face a little bit, you know? Like, you know, if, if, your, if your child took the markers and completely messed up the wall that you had recently painted and you grab that child and you take them and you, you kind of put their face by the wall and say, who did this? You know, there's marker all over your kid's face. Who did this? I think Paul's showing them how silly these divisions are. Look at the three questions in verse 13. Is Christ divided? Are you kidding me? You've sliced and diced him and you don't have the real thing anymore. You just have your own little piece. Of course Christ is not divided. Second question, was Paul crucified for you? That, that, that's ridiculous. No, Jesus was crucified for you. Paul, I'm just a servant. He's my Lord. But Paul knows that we easily put someone else in that place. And we miss Jesus. And then he goes on, were you baptized in the name of Paul? And then he goes on this little excursus, which I, I love. It's, I mean, it's, it's kind of funny how it works, you know. He says, I, 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 didn't, I really didn't bat, I baptized a couple people. And then he goes, on oh, someone's over his shoulder saying, hey, wait a minute. No, you, you, you had some others. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, I baptized a few, but... But what Paul's doing is he's not minimizing the power and the importance of baptism. In fact, Paul can't imagine a follower of Jesus not stepping into the waters, going under, identifying with the death of Christ and our own death in Jesus, and then being raised again to life with Jesus, resurrection life. So we were just at the beach. Matt, water looks so cold. <laughs> and we baptize at the beach. And we're going to baptize on Easter Sunday morning. And if you have never been baptized, I'm just inviting you 
hey, it's not that cold. <laughs> and it's really short-lived. But my friend, you die to yourself in your warmth and you go under that water and you feel like you're going to die. And then you're brought back out in union with Jesus in resurrection power. But for Paul, baptism was not the issue. You weren't baptized into the name of Paul. Notice verse 10. You're baptized in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The central claim of a Christian is Jesus is Lord and no one else is. That's what Paul wants to drive home. No human personality. Jesus is Lord. And when we cry out in baptism, Jesus is Lord. When we cry out, when we wake up in the morning to start our day, Jesus is Lord. I'm not and no one else is. We lay down every idol and we elevate Jesus and we say, he is Lord. Notice verse 9. We're baptized into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Into the name of. Into the name of Jesus. There is something about that name. And he reigned supreme. I think Paul is getting at our essential identity. Into Jesus. In Jesus. Being welcomed into life with Jesus. He's the center. Jesus is the center of our identity and our family. So he says in verse 17, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. The gospel. What is the gospel? He says, not with wisdom and eloquence. Here, look at this. Lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. When we put our allegiance and our loyalty allowing another person to divide us and to put separation between us and other people, we take Jesus off the cross and we put somebody else up there. Lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. I'm going to leave it there because I can hardly wait for next week. Because James is going to come and jump into verse 18. Oh my goodness. We'll focus on the cross and we'll focus on wisdom and eloquence. And Paul wants us to keep the cross and Christ in that cross central in our lives. I, I've, been, I've been toying with a, a, an analogy, a metaphor. And I don't know if it'll work. You might be offended by this, but let's just pretend we're all a bunch of cows. You may not like that. I'm a cow, you know, and, and, uh, and I've watched cows, you know. The, the, the owner of the cows, he, he, he has to build a fence around the pasture to keep the cows in, right? And what do cows do? Cows often, they, they just, they go stand at the fence, you know, and stand at the edge of that fence. And, and, uh, and we Christians, we, we like fences too, you know. And, and then we, we go toy with the the. the edge of that fence. But you know, you watch that cow owner and uh, there's a big feeding trough right in the middle of the pasture. 
And what does he do? You know, he brings his little tractor, his John Deere, whatever, and he's got a couple bales of hay on that tractor. And he comes and he dumps it into that feeding trough. And what do the cows do? The cows come from wherever they are. They even can hear the tractor and they know what's happening. They go right into the center of the pasture and they eat. And I was kind of thinking about that in terms of this idea of what we're doing. We want fences. We oftentimes take churches or pastors or people and we, we, put them, we want to put them in a box. Oh, oh, that person, they're in this box over here. You know, we put a little fence around them. Oh, and, and, and this, they're in this box over here. And all of a sudden, we, what we've done is we've identified how distant we are from one another. What if Jesus were in the center? What if Jesus was the bread in the center of our fellowship? And we were just drawn to him. I want to feast on Jesus. I want to fill my life with Jesus. I want to be where he is at, where Jesus is at, I want to be there. What he's up to, what he's about, I want to be there. And then I thought, wow, what if the feeding trough were a manger? And the God of glory left heaven, became a little baby. The bread of heaven that comes down like manna in the wilderness. And there he was in the manger. And people from the distant parts of the world would come and bow their knee and worship at the manger. We wouldn't need fences. We wouldn't have to worry about putting people in boxes. We would say, Jesus is the center of my life because he's Lord. Now, let me tell you, we on the teaching team, Brooke and James and Matt and Tommy and Todd and Denise and Janie, you know, we have meetings and we disagree. But with humility, we keep going back to this book. With humility, we plead with the Holy Spirit, guide us as leaders of the River Church. Now, believe me, the other thing we say is, have we got it right? Because we know that at times we could get it wrong. And we together as a River family talk about the center. Are we, are we going down a rabbit trail? Have we created a fence over here that keeps people out or puts us in a box? We go back to the scriptures. Jesus, we want to know you. In fact, Paul said in Galatians 6, 14, God forbid that I should boast of anything but the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't know what box the river's in. We're, we don't have it all together. We're not going to claim, oh yeah, do it like the river does it. But one thing we're going to keep doing we're going to take the cross. You notice it's right here. I think it's like furniture in our homes, you know. We keep the cross in every service, but it's back there, and it, it can easily become visible. So, I mean, invisible. We don't even see it anymore. So th this is just, this is a little gimmick to remind us that the cross of Christ is central to the River Church and our lives. And this cross represents the death of Jesus and on Easter, we celebrate the fact that this cross could not hold him. Sin and death could not hold him. Anything in our past, any shame, 
any brokenness, any tears in relationships, this cross can heal. And Jesus can bring us together. So that's why we come to this table. We're going to do it a little differently. And some people have reminded me, oh, this is going to feel really Catholic. And I said, no, that's not what, that, that's the exact opposite of what I want to do. They say, oh, you're doing it like them. But some folks are going to come up. Will the band come on up? Some folks are going to come up. They're going to serve as communion up here. And we have the body of Jesus, one loaf that we each partake from. And then the cup, which represents the blood of Jesus. And we take the bread, the torn bread, the, the, the body of Christ broken for us, and we dip it in the, the blood that was shed on the cross for us. And I want to tell you, whether you're rich or poor, whether you're of a particular skin color or not, whether you've been following Jesus for 30 years or you're still trying to figure this thing out, whether you're complicated and whether you've allowed other people to define for you a Christianity that you say, I don't want anything to do with that, and somehow God has brought you into this room, whether there's been some leader or pastor who has wounded and bruised you, whether a church has been after you and has made you say, I don't want to be part of that. It's the cross of Christ. All of us, to get to Jesus, have to come through the cross. All of us. And he then creates a broken kind of beautiful. So, Sampras's, Pate's, So we're going to sing some songs. You guys are over here. We're going to sing some songs. And uh, I want the cross to be central. And Jesus to be central. And uh, come, come as you will. Jesus is Lord. And if you come and, and, and you take bread and you dip it, you, you might even say, to those who are serving you, his body broken for me, his blood shed for me, and remember the cross. Come as you will. Grace.